Hey, hi! Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Deepa Mehta, a writer and director of film and television who just won a Canadian Screen Award last year for directing Funny Boy. Her previous work includes adaptations of Salman Rushdie's Midnight's Children and Carol Shields' The Republic of Love, and the Elements trilogy of Fire, Earth, and Water the latter of which was nominated for the Best Foreign Language Oscar in 2006. Her latest credit is Mr. Song, a charming story about the friendship between a Korean kid, played by Minori's Alan Kim, and an older disc jockey, played by Felicia Rashad, in Detroit. It's the first episode of the new season of the Apple TV Plus anthology series Little America, which just dropped last week, and that gave us the perfect excuse to book her for this episode. Deepa chose The Garden of the Finzi Contini's, Vittorio De Sica's 1970 adaptation of the 1962 novel by Giorgio Pisani, about a wealthy Jewish family in the Italian city of Ferrara, lively going about their days as fascism and World War II creep ever closer. Featuring a cast of relative unknowns who went on to become European screen legends like Dominique Sanda and Helmut Berger, it builds excruciating tension under a totally placid surface. Because the Finzi Contini's may not know what's coming for them, but the camera does. And so do we. This is someone else's movie. I've always loved it, and I'm a big De Sica fan, uh, but um, it's it's the time. It's the times that we're living in, and uh, I just, uh, I, you know, I just come from India, and um, and things are changing so fast all over the world, you know, as populist governments grow, and what's happening in Afghanistan, and what's happening in Iran, and and, uh, and you know, and friends who are, who are in Iran or in Tehran are talking about that the expert, you know, who were there when they were there talking about, like Azar Nafisi, who wrote that brilliant uh, uh, reading Lolita in Tehran, uh, that they never ever expected the the rise of um, religious populism to, um, to come the way it did. It just came overnight to blink. And for a long time, they were just, ignoring and and saying it's not, it's not going to happen let's just get rid of the shah and everything will be fine but it wasn't and it's the same way that it's happening we see it happening in america forget about you know afghanistan yeah. the united states and we see it happening all over the world we've seen it in hungary we've seen in who's elected in in italy i mean i think that when tony morrison said that all art is political I totally get it. And that's why Finzi Contini is so relevant and continues to be relevant to me today is that, of course, everything that we do, I feel, in some way reflects where we are politically in the world. And for me especially, I mean, all my work has always been quite political. Of course. Um, And I think about what Sam and me, right? Your first feature, which is about uh, <laughs> the two uh, two cultures reaching yeah. out towards one another and kind of missing each other and then connecting. And and one of the and your one of your leads is um, is an elderly Jewish man who would remember all this stuff, who has been through it. Uh, even if he's living in Canada, it's mm-hmm. it's still part of the DNA. And um, I, I I was really surprised to find out that. The Garden of the Finzi Contini is is very difficult to find. I still have the DVD, 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's not streaming anywhere. It hasn't turned up on the Criterion channel, which I assumed would have happened. There's a new digital restoration in 2015 and no one's picked it up. It's as though, it's almost as though culturally it's being forgotten right at a time that needs it most, which I found very, very strange and unsettling. I didn't know that, you know, I, I got it from, um, I saw it when, actually, I saw it first when, uh, not when it first came out. Um, I think maybe, maybe about five years later in 1976 or 77 mm-hmm. or something in Delhi, there was a screening at, uh, not at the Italian uh, uh, embassy, which sometimes did screenings or the Italian consulate, but uh, at um uh, at the German consulate, for some reason, who knows? Makes and, sense. Uh, and you know, and they have a, they had a, it's a maximum of heaven in um, in New Delhi, and uh, and they had a screening, and I was just absolutely blown away, and it remained with me to an extent, uh, Norm, that uh, that when I was doing Earth, uh, the second uh, in the trilogy, um, which is about the uh, you know partition of India into India and Pakistan, and and how colonization and secularism works. Uh, the, what came to mind was uh, Vinci Contini because it's how unaware we are before the world falls apart and actually there is a moment where, where we see that, you know, here they are playing tennis and everything's fine and they're upper middle class and of course no, nobody's going to touch them. And uh, because we think money is power and and money and power will protect us. But the point is nothing protects us from populism. And we forget that. And you're so right. I wish people should see it. Everybody should see it. Maybe perhaps more in Alberta than anywhere else right now. Who knows? Right now. But I mean, it's it's applicable to all of Canada, I would say, at this point, with um, uh, politicians embracing fascism. And it it's... Okay, so this is the thing that happens in Canada. Obviously, we're five years behind America politically. Mm-hmm. We always are. Whatever's going on there, it, it gets here eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada is just, I think we're just, we're more cautious and, and a smaller country. So we wait to see how it yeah. plays out. And then we make the mm-hmm. same mistake anyway. So what we have now are, you know, the Tea Party hollows out um, the Republican Party in 2010 in the elections. Yeah. And then that just leads to Trump. And that leads to where we are now. And Canada... As you say, the politicians in Alberta are, are just going full on fascism. The government isn't our government. We can do whatever we want. But we're seeing all of them court the right, the radical right wing in the same way, which is that, oh, we can control it. We'll be fine. You know, nothing will change our position. We'll just cater to them so we can get elected. And then, of course, they realize, you know, you have to dance with the ones that brought you and you're stuck with that relationship forever. And and what rewatching the garden of the finzi contini's i realized they're not even political like they're not even no, they're so no. above it they don't even think they can none of this will touch them and they will be in their in their estate and everything will be fine and the war will just happen around them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely i mean and and that is i think that's the strength of the film that you did that you you're with them i mean even though you know what it's broadly about and you know mm-hmm. it's based on a very famous book and and we know what the book was about and how long it took and uh, you know, De Sica didn't thought that Visconti should have been doing it. But, uh, you know, and it's, uh, but then it became about, you're right, about a very so-called apolitical family. But, the, you know, and and also that's, that, that's what happened with Earth, which is what I love. The book, what Earth is based on, Ice Candy Man, is, uh, is because they, 
you know, the, the, they felt nothing would touch them because they weren't Muslims and they weren't Hindus and they were Parsis and Parsis were supposed to be, uh, you know, not, not taking sides and they were rich. But, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, there is, there's yeah. never, there's never a place outside the conflict if you are living in it. Like there's, there's no way to avoid it. And the, the, the thing that struck me about Finzi Contini's, and I didn't catch up to it until the first restoration, which would have been 2001, 2002, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I had just, I had seen De Sica's earlier films and then there was just this gap where things weren't mm -hmm. being distributed, I suppose, in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and I never got the chance to see them. But as soon as Sony or Columbia reissued it and they, there was there was this little wave they restored the passenger around the same time just this little neo-italian cinema <laughs> master series that we all got to experience here <laughs> and it's so placid and so small and quiet and you can forget for five or ten minutes at a time you can forget when it's taking place which <laughs> is the most unnerving thing about it is that De Sica, who, you know, he was this post-war chronicler. He he experienced World War II through art and, and reflected it back to people. And now for the first time, he's going backwards and confronting the Italy that used to be. And so it's this memory, it's this pastoral beauty and everyone's pretty and everything is well-appointed. The food looks great. The people look healthy and they're all going to be eradicated. They're all just going to not be there in five years' time. And it's just so sad without ever being sad. He never tips his hat, which I, I find absolutely remarkable, right up until that last scene where you're just alone with it all of a sudden and, and mm. the weight of history falls on the film. I know. But how do you seduce an audience that way when we all know where it's going? It's it's remarkable. Well, that's that's the I mean, that's the brilliance of the filmmaker, isn't it? I mean that how long I don't know how long it took to edit it, but I remember reading that it took a long time to edit. And he was um how do you not tip your hat? I mean, he was not actually satisfied with the script for the longest time. That's what I read. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, you know, there was a, there was one draft by somebody else, and then there was another draft by somebody else, and then they brought the person who wrote the book. And he still wasn't satisfied. And, and But that's what I'm saying, that it was when he felt that this is a script that he can shoot. And you read about why he felt that and when he felt that, he said when he could visualize it. And that's, he said, I wanted to start with the tennis. People, not, not the home, but here we are in Italy, Ferrara, where it was supposed to be. And, uh, and it's a group of kids. And yes, we know what the film's going to be about, but it seduces us to be in the moment. I think that is his strength. Mm. And we, casting. Oh, yeah. Dominic Sanford, that was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. And all of these people we hadn't seen before or Italy hadn't seen before, non-actors or first-time actors who could then have, you know, like, you don't associate them with anything else. It's It's very, very clever because... You can't tell what types they are. You can't figure yeah. out where they're live. There's no clues anywhere. They're just they're just Italian kids. Yeah, I mean there wasn't Alan Delon or whatever. I mean there were whoever you know Mastroianni or I don't know, but uh, and that's that's uh, then that's the brilliance of him. I mean think of Bicycle Thieves. That's he did that. He's mm -hmm. done it before. There's such confidence in who who 
who he has cast. And I'm glad that you brought it up. Yeah. It's because they none of them come with a history. None of them are associated with, oh my God, here's Tom Cruise and it's Top Gun or whatever, you know. Uh, nothing. There's that such freshness to it. And and you I I was with them. I mean, I was with them and, and the whole process, maybe having gone through with the you know what it and still to the to the point where you go through with what we went through in India, with the you know with the partition of India into India and Pakistan and that whole division and that's reflected in Earth is uh, what happens when politics take over our lives, and these are ordinary good lives. They aren't impoverished in any ways. No, they're fine. They're doing well. These are friends. These are people you play with. These are people you eat with. And then one minute, it's all gone. Just people become non-people. And the other thing that's so clever about it is that by elevating them above politics, um, they're still culpable, right? Because they don't take a stand, because they don't make any opinion heard. And they're wealthy enough that they probably could. They could influence someone somewhere. But I, part of that, too, is the reflexive, I think, the, this this inborn Jewish thing that that your, every every Jewish kid learns when they're young is that, you know, if, if people think Jews control the media, then you have to be bipartisan. You have to be absolutely above it. And you can sort of feel that canard floating around in there too. Like maybe the reason they're not so engaged is because they want to appear like ordinary Italian citizens. Someone even says in the film, like they don't even seem Jewish, which is such a strange right. thing to say about your people. You're so right, but but it happens all the time and it's still happening. I mean, you know, when you when you whether it's in India or, like I said, whether it's in Afghanistan or what's happening in Iran, it's it's happening all over. That yeah. there is, but and there is such a desire to. I mean, I have, I know people in India who are friends in India who who will not talk about um, uh, about or talk about what's difficult for them uh, with their Muslim friends or what they're going through because everybody's slightly paranoid. So you just pretend that. Everything's cool, you know, except it isn't. Yeah. I mean, so much of your work is about unspoken sentiment. So many of your films, um, you know, Heaven on Earth is about a woman who can't tell anyone what she's experiencing at home um, because it's because she doesn't feel safe, but also because she doesn't have the language to communicate what's going on to people. Uh, Water is about a child trying to understand what's going on with the adults around her. We get it because we can understand the perspective, but we have additional information that the child simply isn't privy to, even Mm -hmm. as she's going through this this inconceivable drama of her own. Uh, I was trying to figure out if there's a connection in your Little America episode. There there isn't really, It's, it's not the same story at all. No, but it, it's in a way it is. The reason I was attracted to Little America, even season one or season two, it's not because there were season one was a bit more obvious because it was about uh, Indians or East Indian immigrants. But uh, mm. this is about Koreans and and and, and a Korean young artist and a, and a black woman. But it, it has so much to do with, I feel, what my films are about, uh, which is... Um, how much do we have to transform ourselves in order to belong, Norm? I mean, that's what my quest as a as an immigrant and and 
and I think it's reflected in my films, in all my films, is that what are the sacrifices we've had to make in order to be accepted? Whether it's in fire, with you know, or whether it's in earth uh, about Muslims and Hindus, or fire about two lesbians who are who should not be having a relationship, and if they want one, what what will they have to give up? And I feel as an immigrant to Canada, I mean, I'm a Canadian citizen, but I I was born and brought up in India. Is uh, I, now I'm more as I grow older, I feel more than I ever did that uh, I I don't know what it takes to belong because the rules keep on changing. So that's what really attracted me to Luke's film, Mr. Sung in Little America, is that because his his story is all about how much of his art will he have to sacrifice in order to be accepted on one level by his by his mother specifically. And on another level, if he just tells all of it to go away and listen to what he wants, what what would he have sacrificed? So it's all about belonging, belonging and transformation. So I felt, I felt when I read the script, I felt I know this. It didn't matter that they weren't Indians. That doesn't matter. It's the feeling. It's what we're searching for. It's it, and it isn't about color, Norm. It, you can ask that question yourself, whether sure. it's a relationship or whether it's with your work. It's a universal obsession that I have. I think that maybe, you know, it's reflected in, in hindsight but in all my work. I, I mean, I want to belong, but I know that I can't. Hey, it's Norm interrupting my own show to tell you about the latest Shiny Things newsletter, my twice-weekly dispatch about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming thing. Last week, I reviewed Joanna Hogg's brilliant new drama, The Eternal Daughter, and unpacked the massive martial arts celebration that is Arrow Video's Shawscope Volume 2. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Simcast Twitter account. Did you miss me writing about movies? I did. Come check it out. Well, I was going to say, if I had to sum up the, the, the way your stories always play out to me, it's I think it's the weight of expectation in whatever situation. And if you, you know, if you're talking about assimilation, then there's a whole other library of of expectations that come with that, right? Both internally and externally. Mm-hmm. So you have in in Mr. Song, you have the story of someone who is entirely comfortable doing what he loves, but he can't find a way to make anyone else understand why he loves it. Yeah. Yeah. Even when, uh, even in the, in the art school sequence, I don't want to spoil this for funny. listeners, but that's such I a lovely that. scene where he gets angry because no one understands him, but he won't explain it. But he feels that art should not be explained, which is what I love about Mr. Sung is that Luke says, not like I said, not unlike Tony Morrison. I mean, this is it, you know? Yeah. Take it or leave it. And why would I have to explain it if I use the right word or the right whatever's, you know, politically correct and acceptable right now? And and that's all good. But does that make, how is that, how does that anything, if I say the right words, like the other kid does when he looks at the painting and says, da, 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 da. Yeah. I don't want to go into that arena. This is what I feel. This is what I see. If it doesn't speak to you, 
then it's not my problem. And that's what I loved about Luke. You know, that he was, what a thoughtful young man, but also a vulnerable one, and also wanting so badly to be embraced by his mother, I think, more than anything else. And it's what I love is that, that in fact, um, she not it's not about her doing embracing him or not, but that her her vulnerability as well. You know, that's, yeah, that's what's very really beautiful. Yeah, we we see early on how much she relies on him mm-hmm. to understand America because he's the filter that she sees it through, and she's. Yeah. I mean, if you if you if you believe believe is the wrong word, but the argument that all parents use is that I want to give you a better life and I want you to be more yeah. successful. Yeah. But the kids never hear that, right? No. I mean, no. over and over again, we interpret it differently and rebel against the imposition of authority from your parents and all of that. At the, um, my my dad told me once that he had he wrote six songs as a, as a teenager and gave up and became an accountant. And all I could think of is Why'd you stop? And it's because he, that was the 1950s and it was different and everything yeah. was, um, and it's just one of those things where we, we, I mean, I pursue a career in the arts and, and it makes no sense to anyone less than, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, it's just except something I you. always, except, except to me. And even I couldn't articulate it at the time. I know, but I mean, it's like, what, what, I mean, I don't know what, what I, I, while you were talking and it's absolutely right. Is that, uh, and that's the other reason I loved uh, uh, Mr. Song was that it broke stereotypes. And there you have the father who is loves Puccini. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, and I remember shooting that scene. It was it was one of the most sublime things I'd seen an actor do because Bruce just imbibed it and he felt and Tosca just came out and it was like, and I said, I don't think I've ever seen a Korean actor uh, or a character um, enjoy opera. I haven't. And I thought, this is amazing. Have you? I was thinking about it. I don't know that I have. I think there must be, there there must must be, be. something. But I yeah, it's not mm-hmm. coming to mind anyway. Never, it didn't come to my mind at all. So I'm sure there must be somebody, but I haven't seen it. Uh, and I thought, how wonderful. Mm-hmm opening a window that it's not that okay this is what koreans do and i like the fact that he sold vacuum cleaners but he really wanted to be an opera singer and the mother says of course he couldn't be that because uh you know how he had his duty towards brothers or something and, and yeah, his kid, brothers died in the war and this was the only thing left for him exactly and the kid says that's why he looks so miserable, <laughs> you know. That's and exactly what we were talking about. This that there is this the the moments in um, in Mr. Sung that uh, that speak to me, speak to me on all levels. It has nothing to do with my world, and I love the opportunity of getting to know another world, and in getting to know another world, recognizing that uh, I'm not alone. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've always found sort of a common vulnerability in your characters and people who, you know, I think of things like Beeble Boys, where everybody is attempting to be tough, but we know who they really are. The film sees them, even when they're they're doing the worst things possible, they're still doing it out of a fear of being seen as weak or Mm -hmm. uh, 
the cruelty is intensified because they don't think they're strong enough. It's it's just it's such a it's such a rare opportunity to sit with a story that is. I mean, there are hard emotions in it, and there are things that are faced and dealt with. But it's ultimately, I mean, I suppose it speaks to Little America as a whole. It's just, it's such a compassionate and loving show mm-hmm. that it's just nice to spend thirty five minutes with people who will eventually figure themselves out. <laughs> it's just good uh, to yeah, know that they're in a good place. Well, and you know, and I, I, one of the nicest things that happened was actually um, that the showrunners, in this case, Sean Hader, who wrote the script, and and Lee and Arthur, uh, they all gave me uh, gave me the time to do a workshop. So I didn't have to, I actually treated it like a feature film. I didn't ever think I was doing a short or an episode of something or the other. They, that they actually, they, they have the, they have like the generosity to say, okay, you know, go ahead and do your workshops the way you do with, with your, with your films. And that's exactly what we did. And it was wonderful because we all got together. It's it's with the actors and Sean was there watching. And at the last 10 minutes, I get the DP and the first AD to come in too. So then the, the characters and the actors are real to the DP. And the, and the first AD calls them by name and they can look at the person. They say, I, I was in a workshop with him. You, you know, it's okay. They all, uh, so I... It was very generous. I didn't feel constrained or I didn't feel I had to change my style or I had to stop doing what I love doing, which is working with actors. I mean, that it's just, it's wonderful. Within a story that was so, felt so important to tell all, anytime. But uh, right now, more than anything else, we, we need compassion and humanity. And uh, this gave me an opportunity to, you know, to do my bit. Yeah. And and it is a story about two different communities who were brought together by, ultimately, by music. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he if he didn't listen to the radio, he wouldn't have met her. And if she didn't appreciate his playing, she wouldn't have talked to him in the first place. Um, and that's the thing that's, I, I'm going to bring it back to Deseka, that is the thing that's missing from the Finzi Contini's. Everything is so isolated and so walled off that there is no chance for this family to save themselves, right? They don't get out because they don't see, they never leave. They don't see the reason to go out into the community and, and take the temperature of the world. Even if, even if they'd gone to the market themselves, rather than send a servant, they would have known what was going on. And it's the- I think the, they did know. I, did, I think Norm that they did know, but they did yeah. not want to know. You know, that's that's what I felt, that that's the reason. The whole, always in Finzi Cortini, there's you always look at the wall. Even as a young kid, when, you know, uh, when they're talking to each other and, uh, you know, she's got the stepladder and uh, and he's outside and uh, the kids, 10-year-olds, there's always a wall. Mm. And I think that the reason for the Fienzi Contini and, and the Seeker's wall always there, this is that. This is because they want it. Because if if they if they decimated it or, or traversed it, um, they would know that there's no hope. Okay. I see it as Giorgio knowing what's going on, but everyone else just rejecting the possibility. But you're right. If they're rejecting it consciously, it's not. Yeah, that I think they're, they're rejecting it. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, she she rejects it and she knows what's going on and she's conscious about it, but the rest of them are rejecting it and they're saying, 
uh, there's a reason because it's too painful. Yeah, and I get I, I understand the the impulse too in people to insist that everything's going to be fine because it always has been, right? It's weird. They're, they're, some of them are old enough to have remembered World War I, but it happened somewhere else. So they don't really think about it that way. Yeah. And now this is creeping towards them and they just don't see it. And in the same way that the characters in Little America, I mean, when it takes place before Obama's election, which is sort of hidden very, very mm-hmm. comfortably mm-hmm. in the film, if, in the show, if you don't notice that the old laptop or the old um, computers are yeah. around. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, a, a pre and post 9-11 world, really. And mm-hmm. It's uh, so strange to think about. Somebody pointed out just now that there, there are people who are, as of this year, old enough to vote in America who were born after 9-11. And it's just completely turned my head inside out. The institutional memory goes away and the way that the culture has changed and, and those kids never knew something before it. And so, again, I think about the Finzi Contini's and, and the isolation there. They wouldn't have had anything to do with World War One. Maybe it Maybe it was bad for business for a little while, but it was something that happened to other people. And here, mm-hmm. again, you just, the momentum cruises forward where, eh, we'll be fine. Whatever happens, happens. And then, of course, that's not what happens at all. No, it doesn't happen. It does, Like I said, it, it's not happening in Italy right now, where mm-hmm. Finzi Contini was set. I mean, what's happening in, in Italy now, we, we all know. I mean, it's really, it fills, it fills me with despair or Europe or even Brexit. It's, I mean, it's all... Yeah. What happened with Sunak right now, and and you know, and his, I don't know where she is, um, you know, I, Brahman, you know, saying, oh, right. I mean, it's like, what's going on? You aren't supposed to say that, you, you're supposed to know that it's difficult being brown and being an immigrant, but it doesn't matter. It's about power, money, and and that is what scares the daylights out of me. And that's why I thought Finzi, Finzi Contini was so brilliant. Because it's that very stuff that actually is going to going to be disastrous for them. Not and it's, you know, to go back to Little America is that uh, that 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 journey of that young boy and and meeting with with his mentor, this wonderful talk show. Um uh, host Martha Jean, uh, you know, Queen is. She is what? What? How strange that these two worlds can come together, and yet they can fall apart too, and they do. Mm-hmm. But there's always the possibility, at least in Little America, and in, in in the story of Mr. Song, there is the possibility of reconciliation that people can oh. understand each other, and I think so much of that just rests on how how. Just how warm and how loving Felicia Rashad is when even just standing still, like she brings all of that in. uh, (laughs) Norm, I mean, it was so wonderful to work with her. You know, I just, I I loved working with her because she's so bright and she's so warm. And she is, uh, she has a whole history with India, which we we both really uh, connected with. So uh, it was, that was lovely. So, you know, uh, and how, how, the time that she spent there and how important it is. And uh, so we met, we understood each other on a totally different, surprisingly level, which was wonderful. She is one of the nicest people that I have met and and really generous and really bright. She gets it. She got what her character was and she was, uh, you know, and how important, you know, the way people spoke was or 
uh, the black folks spoke in the shop and everything. She was she wanted it to be so authentic. And she got it. And she got the Detroit of 1985. She she'd done her homework. And she was uh, and all her suggestions were so generous. Oh, that's great. No, it was wonderful. I mean, the cast was to die for, literally. <laughs> they were wonderful. And that, you know, for that's for me, it was uh, such a big thing because that I felt that I was, I never felt I was doing a half hour show. I've always felt I was doing a feature. Hmm. I was, I was given that, that, that space to feel that way by everybody's dedication to the show. And that can't come when you're just doing, you know, saying, okay, here's an episode, we have to meet our day. And it wasn't, it was, there was, uh, I mean, I hate to sound corny, but there was a lot of um, warmth around the show. Yeah, it's not corny at all. I think that's how you do it. That's that's what you need for a show like this. It's yeah. It's about hope. It's about, you know, connection and compassion and all the things that we, with all the terms you throw around when you're talking about idealism, but you don't really expect anyone to deliver on it. So it's just nice to see them realized. Yeah, it's, it's just those moments, you know, Norm. I remember those, I, I mean, this was like, what, six or seven months ago, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were real moments where it was just a gesture or a look or or a smile where, where it was, you know, which was worth 10 lines. And... Uh, and also, I really, I love the opportunity of talking to the real Luke. Uh, and we, we, you know, we became quite close. Um, I, I, and just the way he thought about it, and he's still in Detroit. His business is huge, of course. <laughs> but uh, I said, what are you doing? And he says, I'm, I'm li I live with my mother and my father. And I said, that's great. How come? What's going on? And he said, well, my mother has dementia. And so I'm looking after her. So there you you say okay this was this is the character that we saw and fell in love with, or I did and I hope everybody else does uh, in uh, in Mr. Sung. And he's the same. It isn't far away from what he's like in real life. He has evolved to being his potential, and I think that for every episode, you know the the you know the person who is the focus of the episode you feel that they, they're going to reach their potential. And they have in many ways. Then you say, okay, truth rises. There's hope in the world. No, my God, you know, it's not yeah. all about Trump or whatever. <laughs> no, it's nice to see America live up to its potential, right? Like to, oh, to see- absolutely right. You're so right. That's yeah. what it's for. That's, I mean, um, I'm, I'm a dual citizen, so it's been fairly conflicting voting every four years and, and watching things not get better. But individually, I think is the only way it works. Like people yeah. come up, it's not, it's not cultures anymore. It's gotta be individuals who lead the culture. That's, that's a very interesting thing you just said. That it, yes, it has to be, it isn't, it has to be individuals who lead the culture because it, culture is like, it's changing all the time. Our lenses are changing and, and what we're exposed to is changing, and definitions are changing. And uh, to keep up with uh, with that, really, I mean, you have to stop working and just be focused on that. And uh, uh, but uh, in a way, I'm, uh, I the other thing that I really liked was that the homework that they had done. 
And, uh, and, and that reminded me again of Finzi Contini because the seeker did his homework. He really did. He just, he liked the idea of being offered this film to do, but apparently the budget was not huge or anything. No, his last few films had been failures. And so he was, um, he was kind of set back a bit. It couldn't demand what he used to. Mm-hmm. Look what he did. I mean, it, didn't it win the, I think it won the Academy Award. And I think it won the best film in Berlin or was it in Venice? I don't know. But, uh, you know, this was a small budget film and, uh, but he was dedicated to it. He was dedicated to making it reach its potential of not, what happens when you don't acknowledge that you're in real danger and why you don't. Uh, yeah. You know, me, that's, it goes back to what I still am struggling with as, as, as an immigrant. What, what do you do? I want to belong, but I don't know where to and who to, you know. I don't know that there is an answer. I mean, I don't know that there ever was, but, but now it feels even more uncertain, unsteady. Like yeah. That everything is sliding in the wrong direction or, or could at the slight, we're on the, we're, we're, uh, it's not a precipice exactly. It's more like a, a seesaw and it just keeps yeah. wobbling. So we go an inch to the left and an inch to the right, but we never find the center. Yeah. Which, That's... you know, great. Well, what do you do? I mean, you know, uh, yeah. I just, uh, there's a part of me that just says, I don't know if anybody, but you, you know, the, uh, our instinct is to want to feel at home. And mm -hmm. uh, what is home? Home is where you're safe. But are you, Fiji continues thought they were safe. So yeah. when are you safe? You really aren't. You know? Oh, I, you said, what do you do? And my first impulse is to say, keep making work that creates community. Like, just keep, keep showing people the way you think the world should be. And that way, maybe they catch up. Uh, well, I, I don't know if they will, but you can only try. I mean, I, I thought, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, what, that's the idea. I mean, it isn't that, okay, this is my message or something. Everything is an exploration for me. Um, you know, it's an exploration of, of of wanting to belong and what what's the price we have to pay to, in order to belong. What's the expectations? Can we belong? Should we want to belong? Mm -hmm. We have to transform ourselves. And who sets the rules of belonging? I mean, so whether it's uh, Mr. Sung in Little America or whether it was uh, Funny Boy, I mean, the whole, all it's heaven on earth. You know, it's all about what do you do? And yeah. uh, it's more power to them that they can do uh, that, you know, Apple TV Plus and Kumail and uh, that they can actually, that they got it. That the, that epic magazine, when they're telling these stories, is an important thing to do. Not only because it's important and there's a message, but because it it somehow again opens a window into the world that they, they're giving us an opportunity to see. Which I grabbed at. I mean, I was like, I I didn't know much about 1985 Detroit and the black experience, except you know intellectually, but seeing it through. Martha Jean and, and Felicia's eyes was something else. I didn't know what it was like to be upper middle class Korean. I mean, Luke's mom was in advertising. His father was a really, you know, famous uh, uh, entrepreneur. And uh, they, came to they came to Detroit. And started over. And started over. It's hope, isn't it? I mean, the stories are hopeful. The, the 
depiction is hopeful. You just, I keep coming back to the idea that if you give up, if you stop trying to make the world better, then the world wins. And that's <laughs> not how it is. <laughs> yeah, it's just got to keep pushing. No, no, I think that you hit the nail on the head. And I don't know if I said it, but I will, because it's, uh, you know, in the search for belonging, what, what keeps one on the search is, is hope that you will find an answer, even if there might not be one. And for that moment when I'm sitting and watching, I remember, you know, once the editing was done and I saw the uh, the cut, uh, I was just, I, I, I felt that, yeah, there is hope. And I forgot that I directed and I thought, what a good <laughs> <laughs> this, this is always a good sign for me, you know, when I forget that I directed something and I say, oh, I really like that. And then David says, actually, I don't think you're supposed to say things like that, but I was, I was, I'm proud that I did it. Yeah. My thanks to Deepa Mehta, whose new short drama, Mr. Song, kicks off the second season of the Little America anthology series, streaming right now on Apple TV+. Thanks also to Barb Matheson. She knows what she did. You can find Deepa on Twitter at IamDeepaMehta, all one word, and you can find The Garden of the Finzi Contini's on DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment and streaming on Hoopla in the US and Canada. And if you're in the UK, you can rent it or buy it on Apple TV. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the podcast is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week.